I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today on the Executives Exchange, Greg Hughes, President of North America's Beam Centauri, joins us for a conversation with guest moderator Andy Callahan, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hostess Brands. They discuss how Japanese-style Gemba culture has changed how his leadership team operates and ways we can all think about leading in new, lean ways. I'm very excited to join you, and I'm very excited to be uh, put back together with Greg, who I've known for over 15 years when we first met at Kraft. So it's a real privilege to be here. Thanks so much. So Greg, why don't we start and uh, tell us about uh, Gemba, which I know is uh, near and dear to your heart. And uh, how do you put it into practice at uh, Beam Suntory? And, you know, I know a lot of times it's talked about being in the factory floor, floor but how do you put it into practice and how did you first learn about it? Yeah, great, great question. And great, great to see you, Andy, as always. And always. Be reunited, as you, as you noted. I, I work for Beam Suntory. We're a division of Suntory Holdings, which is a Japanese company. And that's where I first, you know, when I joined Beam Suntory, it's where I first encountered the word Gemba. We'll, we'll talk a bit about the concept, and I think the concept, you know, it will seem very familiar to a lot a lot of leaders um, based on great, just good leadership practices. But the word Gemba in Japanese means the real place or the place the place of action or the place where values created, and it comes up out of um, you know the the sort of manufacturing process, the Toyota manufacturing system or Kaizen, and the idea of Gemba walks, which is literally you know, walking the line uh, in a manufacturing facility and stopping with the operators in the line and asking them to sort of see a problem together and how could they make the line more efficient. And it was a it was a, a process and productivity improvement practice from Japanese manufacturing that literally puts management in the place and in the perspective of the line operators and empowers the line operators to, to make improvements that make the, the manufacturing process work more efficiently. And that concept applies to us on our, our, our production side as well and on the, on the distilleries where we make our spirits. But you know, we also apply that concept and, and Suntory applies that concept to leadership and consumer understanding. So to me, the, the same principle of being in the real place or being in the place of action is really about empathy. It's about if you're going out into the market and you're going to see consumers, you're going to see customers, that you go out and you go with a, a learning agenda to try to put yourself in their place of action or in their real place and see a problem or an opportunity or an issue together and observe and develop empathy that allows you to, to see what the opportunities or, or the challenges are of the business. And from a leadership standpoint, um, as you manage teams, it's really about making sure that you create a work environment or culture or leadership team where you're, you're creating this culture of empathy or encouraging people to see issues and opportunities and problems in the workplace through the perspective of others. You're looking at problems together as opposed to a us versus them mentality. So that's, that's what it means. And that's how we apply it at Beam Suntory. I do think you know, it, it's not necessarily a new concept. And, and as I think back on my career, I started out at P&G and then I left P&G and joined the Peace Corps. 
And the interesting thing about the Peace Corps, as I've come to sort of reverse engineer this, it seems like a, a bit of a random application to Gemba, but fundamentally for anyone who's been in the Peace Corps, you understand that it's about cultural exchange. It's about putting Americans in another culture so that you can learn about that other culture and so that you can expose that other culture to a perspective of the U.S. that isn't mass media or geopolitics. And it's, it's this idea of building cultural empathy and relationships at really that real place. And, and that, that idea of cultural exchange kind of comes back as you apply that through your leadership journey. And as I came to Kraft and, and worked for great leaders like you, Andy, who had a background in leadership development from, from the military, there's several were several service academy grads um, around the leadership group at, 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 in the business unit when, when I was there at Kraft. And this idea of leading from the front, the idea of being with, with your team or out in, in the moment of action and understanding what it means to lead by, walk around, by walking around and, and to gather the insights and empathy that folks had learned as leaders in, in the military. So that's really how it came together for me. It's, it's the, the Suntory example of Gemba, the experience I had at Peace Corps, and then the opportunity from, from working for people like you at Kraft. And I know I'd love, you know, I know you, you had a great experience at, at the service academy and as a, as a leader in the Navy. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, how you've seen Gemba. Well, it, it's funny. One of my first experiences at the military, you never think about it. You don't think about developing leadership skills necessarily early on, although at the academy you do, but you, you, you're, you're basically a product of your experiences and good and bad. And I remember at the academy, you would think of, um, you would think of the military as hierarchical, maybe, you know, drill sergeant very early on. And there is some of that, but one of the first things I remember that struck to me throughout my entire career over almost 40 years later uh, is no matter how hard your day is, what time you get up, the first lesson that they taught you in leadership is make sure your team gets paid and make sure they get the mail. And it sounds kind of kind of basic and funny. And I was like, oh, but no matter how hard your day was, when the mail came in, everything stopped. Everybody sat down and everybody read their mail. And this was before the internet. This was before I didn't go to the academy in 1983 with mobile phone. And everybody stopped. They sat down and, and read the mail. And it didn't matter whether you were the officer in charge of the platoon or you were a brand new plebe like I was. And we all did it together. And it was my first experience of finding no matter what position you have, reflecting later, uh, that the bonds are, are created through there's something always common. There's certain always you can grab onto. And you can always be empathetic because if the fundamentals of a person's not taken care of, then it's hard to ask them to do things that are extraordinary. So it's a great example. And I think there's a parallel there that I've always taken with me. Yeah, for sure. There's something about being in a common experience and deliberately f yeah. framing the situation to make sure you're having a shared experience. It's, it's interesting as I, as I reflected on how you, how you take this moment of Gemba and translate it to, to empathy and insights. It's really important to, to, to identify what it's not either, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's really yeah. easy as a leader when you come out of the office and you go out into the market, you know, you can go on an inspection tour. And it's not an inspection tour. Every now and then it can be show and tell. Like I'm in Florida today, I'm in Tampa because the CEO of one of our board meetings is board members is coming uh, to Tampa market. Yeah. This is show and tell, right? Like this is me and Florida team showing what we're capable of doing when the CEO comes in town. It's it's not Gemba. Like there's no 
There's right. not going to be a lot of empathy happening. We're gonna we're gonna show off well, and that's okay too, right? But that that's a that's very different than an inspection tour where we're adversarial. The other thing it's not is it's not industrial tourism, and you know in our industry, and it depends on the industry you're in. Like you know, I, I grew up in Kansas, so I, I love Emporia, Kansas. It may not be the as sexy a location to travel to as maybe Cognac in France or or one of our bourbon distilleries, but. It's not industrial tourism. It's not about just showing up at the plant. And so when I go to Kentucky, I try to make every much as effort to go to Maker's Mark and our beam bourbon distillery as I go to Frankfurt, which is our bottling facility, which is a far less sexy location, but is actually far more material to the P&L and equally important from building empathy with the workforce uh, in Kentucky. So it's not checking and inspecting. It's not industrial tourism. And it really is about making sure you're purposeful in how you engage and frame the situation, make sure you're purposeful in the learning agenda so that you can, you know, drive the right level of insight and empathy out of, out of the visit. Yeah. Hey, Greg, these are all great uh, tangible examples. Leadership on an interpersonal level is one type, you know, where you can get in like, hey, yeah. like Greg, I want to work for Greg. He's very clear. And, and some of these things that are tactical. But when you start getting into a big role like you have, you have a large responsibility with Beam Centauri. And, you know, you can't be at every plant. You can't be at every distillery. I can't be at every bakery. How do you think, I understand that's floor, but how do you take an individual experience or being down in Tampa or or being in Kentucky at a distillery? And how do you scale that? Like, how do you take these and make it go across a a broader footprint of, uh, of people? And you talked about some of that there as well. Yeah, it's it's a great question. It's a real challenge as you kind of go through your career. I think, you know, we, we sort of started to touch on it at the tail end of that last question. It starts with not, you know, you, you can't just show up. Yeah. Um, right. And and you know, when you're earlier in your career and you just show up, maybe you're, you're, you, you can be in that moment of empathy and connection because you're showing up as a peer. You know, if you show up in, in a market or you show up at a distillery, if you don't set really clear not really purposeful on the objective yeah. of, the, of the trip, then you get you get a very mm-hmm. you get very managed, right? Like you get yeah. a very structured visit. Andy Callahan's coming to town. These stores need to look good. You know, don't speak of this problem that we're having right now because if we don't want to trouble them with that, and if you're not careful, you get a very structured visit. So I'd say there's really kind of four things as I think about it. First is be purposeful, and I'll I'll come back to that. The second is you want to see patterns, right? So you're not, you can't be everywhere, but you can see patterns that are emerging, whether it's in a consumer insight or organizational issue or an opportunity, you can see that pattern and apply it across. And then your job, once you see those patterns as a leader is, you know, your, your fundamental job is aligning resources and framing the situation. So what do I mean by being purposeful and framing the situation? So the, the biggest power in my experience you have as a leader is you have complete control of what the situation you're walking into, whether that's a team meeting or a market visit. You, you can set the agenda. You can say, I'm here today to learn about why what the latest cocktail trends are in the on-premise. Or I'm here today to learn about, you know, low and no alcohol. Or I'm here today to learn about retail execution. And, and here's who I want on this trip. And you can decide who's there. And you can control the dialogue that ha- happens. So you've yeah. got this huge power to, to frame. Um, and then you've got um, the ability once you've you've sort of framed the situation to sort of see what 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 insights come from that and then bubble those insights up that you see in a pattern and then you can align resources to go address whatever that opportunity is and 
as goofy as this probably sounds, and maybe maybe it sounds really remedial, and it works for me though, it probably doesn't work for everyone. I I, I um, at some point started, whether it was Friday afternoons or Sunday mornings, I would literally look out on my next week or my next two or three weeks, and I and I write down the ten most important interactions I'm going to have. They could be an individual. It could be I'm seeing Andy in the hall, and I've heard he's not happy, and I need to make that be a better situation for him at work. It could be a team meeting. It could be I'm going into the market. That's generally going to be much further out so I can give the team some notice. And I and I write those 10 things down and I literally draft out what's the outcome I want from this? What's the situation I want to frame? Who's in the room? How do I want to make sure I pull out all the perspectives so that I'm crafting some sort of a learning agenda? And I'm going in with that as my role as the leader. It's, yeah my role going in is how, how am I creating this environment? It also helps, by the way, on inclusion. It's a very similar pr- principle on how do you make sure you're creating an inclusive work environment. If you go yeah. in very deliberately thinking about, I'm not here to inspect, I'm here to frame a situation that allows this outcome to come out. For me, that's worked really well. It's yeah. a little bit rote, it's a little bit mechanical, but for, for me, it, it makes me, at least I can't be purposeful in every interaction I have, but I can be in the 10 or 15 most important ones that I have. You know, but it's a real art. I, I share a similar experience having, you know, with scale. And I love the way you articulated. And I think everybody has to do it their own way. But fundamentally, people want to be successful. They want to be led. And you understanding what they're capable of or doing, and I have the same thing, they, they want to be connected to Total Beam Suntory. Right. So you have a you have a responsibility and your ability to get the agenda focused on how they can connect to it is 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 really is really great. And um, it's something that I always think about when I go. It's not really just listening to them because you need to eventually connect what they're doing or redirect them in a positive way. And if you do it in a sense that it's going to make everybody successful, then it, it really works. And it's harder at scale because you need to put, you need to connect all the dots that a lot of times the, either the distillery or, or from in my current situation, the bakery can't always connect. You right. need to connect that to it. For yeah, them. You have to get that level of elevation and perspective that you're like, oh, I see yeah. this thing here, this happening here. And, yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Did you find it hard during the pandemic? You know, so here we are, we're used to being leading from the front, as you said, in the military, we're used to leveraging some of our interpersonal and relationship side and really caring about people. Now, all of a sudden, we're disconnected. I found that very challenging. Culture is such a big part of, uh, I know, the way you lead, and I know in most people lead. How do you preserve that philosophy in a way where you can't be there all the time? Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you, you nailed it. It's been hard, right? I mean, um yeah, I mean, we we fundamentally believe we're in the human connection business. Mm. I mean, I think you know, um, if you if you think about spirits, it starts with a master blender, and there's a humanity in in how the product ages and how it's made. And at the other at the other end, most brand choice in the spirits industry is still based on a friend or a bartender recommendation, and the product is consumed in a human moment, right? Mm. So we think we're in the human connection business. So it's been, it was particularly challenging for, for Beam Suntory and, and my leadership team to lose some of that ability to connect. Um, I, you know, Zoom and Microsoft Teams worked for a while, but I think you were borrowing off of connections that you've made 
when you could be live. To some degree, we did the best we could and we prioritized employee safety above all else. But but also at some point, I, you know, we just started getting back out there in a safe way as possible. And some degree you changed, you know, I don't want a big entourage. I don't want to be a convener of 20 people when I come into the market and I don't want to make people uncomfortable. But is there a way we could all drive separately or we could all show up at the store? Yeah. I, think, I think the other thing um, that just really was interesting to me is I think it's also important to keep in perspective how much of the companies that and the businesses we're in and our consumers and our employees didn't work remotely. Yeah. Right? It was it was really was, there was an article in the Atlantic over over the summer that I found really fascinating and, and they surveyed mostly white collar workers and I think the estimates were in the range of like six, they asked people how many people do you think are working from home and the estimate was something like sixty percent. The reality of the data is that at the peak of COVID work from home, only 35% of America work from home. And by last summer, only 13%, right? So if you think about our business, and I'm sure it's exactly the same at Hostess, every day of the pandemic, even in March of, of 2020, people went to the distillery and made spirits. People went to the bottling line and bottled them. Distributors showed up with trucks and picked them up. They delivered them to retail stores. Retailers went in and opened their stores and sold the product face-to-face -to, -face to customers. When the on-trade, when the bars and restaurant community opened back up, people back went back, you know, they lost jobs and they came back in and they got jobs. So, you know, it, through all of this, um, most people have had to go to work. And, and, and it was really hard for me as a leader to say, I can ask a retailer to take a risk selling my product, but I'm not willing to show up. Yeah. Thank them in a safe way face to face. I can ask a distributor to put my product on a truck, yeah. but I can't show up. And I can ask distillery employees to come in every day and I'm not yeah. willing to show up. So I was really careful about making sure yeah. I didn't um in a in a way that created more risk, that was like a big event. So I tried to dial it back. I drove, but to some degree, yeah, the human connections are just too important. So we started doing things, and, and we did some stuff with we mandated vaccines and yeah. for salaried employees and masking and social distancing, and we did a lot of things to enable us to to get together in person. And yeah. We call them hostess heroes, uh, you know, during the pandemic. And one of the things to flip in the on the positive side of this anyway, and, and really linking back to your empathy. And this came from there's nothing more powerful than the power of an idea. And I, the team always tells us and someone says, well, why don't you go do our town halls? We have these town halls all the time. And they go, we'll do it from our distribution center in Edgerton, Kansas, beautiful Kansas, your hometown. <laughs> and um, and I said, well, that's great. We used to do these town halls at headquarters and the IT, we'd have a million people show up uh, to set up the IT and they would work half the time. I took my laptop, which I'm on now. I hopped in my car from my house in Chicago and I drove to our Edgerton, Kansas warehouse eight hours later, flipped open my laptop and logged into the Zoom meeting uh, and had a town hall with the whole company. And it's amazing the way that the disconnected, all of a sudden, the, if you look at it at the other end, we had the entire company looking at the employees in our warehouse, serving everybody. And it brought 
it, it, it actually connected. Now you need to maintain that. You know, and then that's the way we do it all the time. We don't do, we don't set up all the dog and pony shows you can rotate. So it's funny that every, every time there's a challenge or a barrier, it opens up another, another funnel kind of way where you're talking about. And we found that to be the case, but it doesn't replace the human connection is your, a lot of what you're mentioning. Yeah. I'm excited. We just, we just announced today, actually, that we're opening our offices, at least in the U.S., back up on April 4th. We've been open the whole time. Yeah opt-in basis, but we're asking people to sort of return to work on April 4th. Yeah. We're, we're adapting a 60-40, 60% sort yeah. of in, in the office or in the Gemba, 40% from home. But I know there's a lot of pent-up uh, energy for everyone seeing each other and, and getting back connected and sort of rebuilding some of those some of those moments of human connection that are so important. You know, it's funny, uh, you, you and I both being marketers, us talking mostly about understanding people. It's funny the way we can really organize our uh, as we get larger, really organize our sharp insights around people. And I've, as I've, as you get in the middle of your career, you, early in your career, you know, you're really focused on people because it's an intimate leadership process. And as you're learning your craft, you seem to lose it a little bit. And it's funny as you get in the back end of your career where you can't do anything anymore, you can set the direction. It becomes about connecting again. Right. And you really realize how much you, you learned along the way. And the skills I learned in marketing early or like learning insights around people that you, they apply to connecting people to your company and marketing your company to your team and marketing your brands to your bartenders and marketing and just having a thoughtful insight and empathetic approach is something that's just amazing that I'm hearing from you, Greg. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I was having this conversation the other day, right? So when I worked for you, I, we were, we were working on craft signals. And if I'd walked into your office and said, Andy, I, I really can't market this brand because I'm not a mom with kids, you would have fired me, right? So the idea that at some point in your career, you get to a point where you say, I'm not capable of, of figuring out how to develop empathy for an employee group that I'm not part of or a consumer group that I'm not part of just seems like such a, a, a loss, right? And so some of those, you're right, some of those skills as marketers, people who are in insights, just some of those human skills of let's develop empathy. How do you see insight out of empathy? And then how do you apply that? And, that, and that's both in team leadership and management and, and driving engagement, which is so important, and in business ideas that translate out of it. So at some point you get to your career where you're not really a doer of things anymore. You're pointing resources, you're you're setting a direction, you're reviewing work, but you're not you're not doing anymore. And to your point, like that, that's when you get even more focused again on how do you make sure that you get the right insight at the human level to, to drive the right outcomes. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Sure Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. With uh, so many consumers turning to social media and the metaverse, which is a lot of what we're talking about around consumers, to interact with brands, how do you think about taking uh, some of these learnings and implementing Gemba in this space? So connecting the Gemba yeah, idea to yeah. just something that we're starting to talk about, but more specifically to business strategy. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think it's the same. In some ways, it gives you a lot more leverage, right? So the same scale that that you struggle with if you go to very micro level, market yeah. by market, and and interaction by interaction. 
yeah, social media gives you a chance to to observe and and follow trends in the same way. You're you're mm-hmm. just observing human behavior. It's the same it's the same exact principle. You you have to figure out where your consumers are and be there, right? Um, I you know I follow things on on Instagram that probably would look strange for the for the average you know 52 year old suburban dad mm-hmm. to follow because of, because I'm in the you know in a lifestyle brand and so you're trying to watch those trends. On the other end of that, I I, I listen to all the sort of whiskey nerd podcasts and everything that's going on in that space because part of it's trying to figure out where the energy is in the category yeah. where the energy is in in your consumer base where the energy is in your employee base and and you're right it's not showing up in the same way that it did pre social media. Yeah amplified and in some ways it's really not easier but but you've got to learn the skills and sometimes you got to be humble that you know you're not necessarily the best person to interpret some of those things and and, yeah. and use people on your team to help you yeah you know, kind of conceptualize what you're seeing but um yeah it's definitely yeah, you know you, as well. you know when the consumer changes and, and our employee teams change i love that example we're doing the same thing we're actually applying some of these marketing things we always used to look at consumer trends, like on a regular basis. We used to market them a lot where you're talking about social media. And we realized, and we used to think of our team culture and management as the annual pulse survey, where they, you know, and then get the plan and we'll revisit it in a year. And we're thinking about it more continuous like we do with consumers now. And the the amount of change that employees are, and our teammates and our hostess heroes, and for you with Beam Centurion are, are, are experiencing, they still haven't figured it out. So a lot of this, like that we're applying in the marketing and the, the metaverse or whatever, applies to to our teams. And we, I think we need to be, we, we think about being adaptable to our consumers. And, and it sounds like you're just as equally adaptable to your teams. Yeah, I think you have to be. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, for a long time, I think, I mean, if I go a bit off topic here on diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, people talked about, you know, trying to, to build a diverse workforce and create an inclusive yeah. work, work environment. And then in parallel, talked about multicultural marketing. But really, you can't you can't quite separate the two um, yeah. because it, particularly for us, right, if you think about what's setting spirits trends, it's by and large, you know, probably people under 40. And they're probably living in the top 20 global cities and certainly the top 15 cities in the U.S., and those are already majority multicultural yeah. uh, consumer bases. So we have to be, we have to figure out how to connect our brands with culture. And we need to connect with culture with our employee base. And you really can't, you, you can attract, you know, great diverse talent, but when if when they go out with their friends, they don't see your brand showing up in a way that feels like they're connected to culture. Then it's hard to keep them, you know, keep yeah. engaged, and vice versa. You can't really connect with culture unless you're creating an environment in your workplace where people are open to, you know, different perspectives and empathy and understanding where consumer trends are. Right. So there's a little bit of yeah. the, the, it's hard to separate the importance of a diverse, inclusive workplace from reaching and building diverse and inclusive brands that actually connect. With culture, which which you'll need to to keep hostess relevant for yeah. the next fifty years, right? So it's 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 really, I think people are starting to see this blurring um, on an employee side, and you know on the brand side, you can you can see the same same trends happen. I, I totally agree. You you cannot keep hundred year plus brands fresh without 
uh, A, being empathetic and B, reinventing yourself for a whole new, staying contemporary and reinventing oneself for a new generation to be introduced anew. Right. You say that all the time. There's someone out there that had their first Twinkie experience and it needs to be as magical and as joyful as it was 100 years ago. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I that, that empathy and that culture and that diversity and it doesn't matter. You know, I experienced that with integration, too, with the employee base. You're talking about getting to different Kentucky, maybe different than a different distillery. You know, some of your your I'm sure your consumers in the downtown of L.A. are different than potentially in, you know, Tampa. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, but but you have to connect them. Um, I found like no matter how much we respected the differences connecting uh, in some way, whether uh, through a common cause or a common purpose, you can celebrate the differences, not try yeah, to create one. And if you're open to them, you can yeah. see trends, you can see trends emerging. So it's both on connecting the differences in the employees, but, you know, from a brand leadership standpoint, you know, we're, we're trying to build global brands in, while acknowledging there's no such thing as a global consumer. Right. And the consumer in L.A. is very different than the consumer in Miami and the consumer in Houston. And, you know, you've got to understand, OK, how do I take these? What's universal about this brand and what's what's locally adaptive? And then where am I seeing trends emerge? So it's interesting, like this, this idea of learning from Gimba. I, I went out on a Gimba visit. The intent that I gave the team was, you know, Aperol Spritz, which is not one of our products. And Kapari just published results today. Had a great year, right? So Aperol Spritz was just, everyone was drinking Aperol Spritz. You're seeing it everywhere you went out, Aperol Spritz, Aperol Spritz. So I, so I asked my team, I'm like, hey, I'm going to come into the market. I'd love to see what are they doing and how are people developing really interesting drink trends? So I went down to Texas and there were a lot of Aperol Spritz, but everywhere I went, People were putting a, you'd walk in the bar and they'd put a, a, a bucket with Topo Chico in it and they'd set it down in the center of the table and they'd give you some limes and they'd give you a glass of tequila. And, they'd, and I'm like, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's ranch water. Everywhere we went, ranch water, ranch water, ranch water, ranch water. And so you're like, hey, you go out to California, you start to see Topo Chico there everywhere. You're like, I think this thing, ranch water, is coming. Um, you know, and subsequently, we, we've launched a, a ready-to-drink cocktail that's a ranch water. We had a whole drink strategy around El Tesoro and Topo Chico as a ranch water. You know, Coke took the Topo Chico brand and partnered with Molson Coors and launched a whole line of seltzers, right? So you see it, but that you can see these things coming if you go out and you keep an open aperture, even if you're there on a different learning agenda. If you're open to the objective is to understand what's happening with drink trends in markets of influence like Austin. And when you go expecting to see the Aperol Spritz and what you see instead is this, this ranch water thing, you're like, whoa, okay. That wasn't what I came to see, but there's clearly a big trend and an opportunity here. And then how do you connect those dots and, and, and turn it into, turn it into a product? Yeah. Are there any other, to, you're, you're close to maybe, what are some of the trends that you're seeing from your business? that you're obviously you're connecting uh, Gemba and those learnings to applying growth. Are there other trends that you have, uh, you have seen as we um, kind of move through the next phase of, uh, <laughs> of this uh, a great uh, cultural experiment we call COVID? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, a lot, I mean, a lot happened for everybody during COVID. I mean, one of, obviously e-commerce took off um, for everyone. Um, in spirits in particular, you know, the, there was the move out of the bars and into at-home consumption, and that drove 
the two trends. One was a huge trend towards premiumization because you saw people realize, wow, I, you know, I go out in, in New York and I buy a Manhattan, it's $15, you know, but I can make 10 or 15 Manhattans with a $25 bottle of Maker's Mark at home, right? So people started reaching higher and higher on the shelves. That's most acutely, Margarita is the number one cocktail in the world, or at least in the U.S. And it's, uh, you know, you've seen, the, you've seen tequila just take off. Uh, particularly at the at the premium end. The other one we saw is that this this real desire for for wanting the at home cocktail experience uh, during COVID, um, and that we had made a small minority investment in a brand called On the Rocks, which mm-hmm. is a premium premixed cocktail brand, and it just exploded during COVID. So you know, in the middle of that, we we completed the acquisition, and I mean, it's been a it's been a rocket ship. It did triple digit growth last yeah. year, triple digit growth again this year. So th- those are some trends, obviously. There's a lot um, happening, particularly in the beverage space, on on blurring between, um, you know, low and no alcohol, and then ranges yeah. of alcohol and seltzers and RTDs and sort of all the beverage companies sort of playing across each other's space. I don't know that that's necessarily COVID-driven, but you see, you certainly see those trends when you're out in the market. It's hard to not notice how much the ready-to-drink category has no. grown. And all of that early thoughts around connection are obviously paying off towards growth for you. Right, exactly. We see that that as well. We see more planned, we see individual snacking. I'm a snack company. We also see more planned connections. It's interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which may be uh, interesting for you as opposed to going to the bar, though, they need, people need interaction. So we're seeing more planned connections as well. Definitely more socializing at home, for sure. Yeah, at home. Yeah. yeah. And it'll be interesting to see as as things reemerge. You know, a lot of people put in home bars. A lot of people tricked out their backyards yeah. and their patios for those occasions where they would yeah. snack or have people over. And I think that'll probably stick um, as people are, are feel even more comfortable having gatherings. Um, yeah, the other thing, like from a trend spotting standpoint, I, part part of why I try to go to Kentucky as often as I can is if, if you really want to understand what's going to happen in bourbon. You kind of have to go to ground zero because you see brands, you see energy, you see people calling things in the bar that, you know, you've never, you know, if you're not in the industry, you haven't heard of, but then they emerge as future brands. So you can sort of see, see that if you go to the homeland of, of a business and it's, it's the same way if you go to Southern California, yeah. looks a lot like America will look, you know, from a demographic standpoint, you go to Houston, mm-hmm. like America's going to look in, and by 2045 and you, you see, you can pick up on trends in some of these markets that are, yeah. You know, probably where the rest of the country is moving towards um, yeah. and particular set trends. So. You know, a lot of times our employees are our, our customers as well. I know that's a true. So when they get such a dramatic change, sometimes it hap- It applies at home. Uh, it, it comes into the workplace. We're certainly seeing that with hybrid work. And therefore, cultures are a little bit disrupted. And I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but you must be really, you must be really pulling the Gemba uh, the skill set that you you've learned and applied and refined over the years to your culture. Yeah, for yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can apply everything you're doing for consumers and brands. I, yeah. We talked about this earlier to culture and teams as well. It's just maybe on a slightly different scale, but you know, making sure that same that same exercise I do at the beginning of each week. More often than not, it's about people and team settings that I'm trying to set up. Often, my leadership team. How do I make sure all the voices are coming on the table? And I, I, Andy, I think this is one I learned from you, and it sounds like you've applied it more at Hostess. Like, how do you make sure everyone in the room yeah. is looking at the same issue? So there's no, I'm marketing, your sales, you're legal. 
yeah. your you know supply chain, but rather this is the issue that we have together. Let's be in this place together um, and observe and build that empathy. And I know that's I think that's yeah. something you try to do on your leadership teams, right? You certainly uh, we we do, and and uh, you know you learn from each other, and you learn a lot, either good or bad. You learn from who you work for. And oftentimes, like I did with you, you learn from people who work for you. To, you realize that it never ends. And um, you can, how does this, how does this, you could probably apply this from a managing your managers, right? Manage good or bad, whether if they're not empathetic to you, how, I guess you can apply this as you, as you lead up and try to influence up as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love this conversation because, um, you know, what, what we're really hearing is Gemba intersects everything you do. It intersects your consumers, it intersects your team, it intersects your business strategy, but it, it provides you a foundation of how you think. What do you, what do you find the biggest challenges of Gemba? What is the biggest challenge that you have to apply? <laughs> it's hard. Like I, um, I worked for another great leader. Also, he was a West Point grad. You probably know Dave Sosinski, also at Kraft, who now yeah. runs um, uh, the Marzetti's. Um, yeah. Go Navy. Yeah. Um, so he he uh, he had this thing that he did that he published these principles in leadership, and he had his observations on leadership. And when you started working for him, he sat you down. And he said, "These are my leadership principles." And then he refreshed them every year. And I've sort of adopted that from him. And I kind of published my list of leadership principles. And I share them to my team at the beginning of every year. And then I, then I say, you know, hey, hold me to these. And I'm coming around to your question. Because the very first one, the very first principle on there is lead with empathy found in the Gemba. That, that's that's wow. principle number one, right? Yeah. And so the challenge in that is... So my, my two biggest challenges are, and they'll be different for everyone, is I'm decent on my feet. So it, it's really possible for me to not, if I'm not being purposeful, to just show up, right? And not be conscious of the learning agenda that I want to set, not be really clear that I'm going to flip the switch and make sure I'm in the real place, actually shoulder to shoulder with the team or shoulder to shoulder or, or I'm framing the situation in such a way that I can get into an empathetic mindset and seek the learnings that come from the Gemma. So for me, first of all, it's just making sure I'm not structured and lazy and just sort of showing up because it's exactly, you know, you, you know, you're having a good and leadership week. takes work. Yeah, it takes work. Right. And then so there's one It takes work just to do it. It takes work to manage your calendar. It's, it's a trade off like I don't have any hobbies really. I, I, you know, I, I spend my time with our, with my wife and our two boys, and I work right. And so, because it's exactly you've got, you know, I've got to get on an airplane frequently, and there's trade offs with that, you know, because you have to go out and you have to engage and you have to be present. So that's the second challenge. And I'd say the third challenge is, yeah, and maybe this one's unique to me as well. You got to be humble. You got to keep your ego in check because people they want to say whatever you see is what they're seeing as well. Mm -hmm. So first of all, they want to show you what they think you want to see, and they, they don't necessarily want to show you reality. So if you can get past that and, and, and get in a place of empathy so you're observing together, if I say, wow, look at that, I think everyone's going to start you know, drinking mezcal, it's really hard to make sure you're setting the right culture and checking your own ego enough that you're not the first one to speak, that you're not 
because the team will naturally say, well, okay, the boss says, you know, Mezcal is the next big thing. Let's all get on the Mezcal train because, yeah. you know, I want to succeed in terms of whether it's right or not, whether it's right or not. Right. So I said, those are the three biggest things for me is you've yeah, got to, I've got to be purposeful in making sure I don't just show up. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some personal, there's some, you know, time that you just got to dedicate to it. You got to, you know, you, you, you choose how to spend your time as a leader as, as the biggest signal of what you value. And then I've got to, you know, keep my ego in check because you know it's fun to be, it's fun to be a CEO of a publicly traded company, right? And and and, you know, um, some days probably, but more than others. And and but you know, it's it, it can really it, it can be hard to make sure you stop and listen and and make sure yeah. that yeah. you're not the loudest voice in the room. When when you do this, it sounds like you're very purposeful, and and that does not surprise me, uh, knowing you as well as and as long as I have. Do you find um, there's certain elements of being in Gemba or thinking about that that are that translate down and up to creating the culture that you want? Like when you come and, and you're consistent, do you teach your team Gemba? Do you just share your leadership style and, ex- and expect them to create their own? How does it translate into building the culture that you want throughout the organization so you're not just you know, doing some of the the trap doors that us and leaders always, uh, us as leaders always uh, worry. I, I I always tell my team, what keeps me up at night is not what I know, it's what I don't know. Right. And being empathetic is hopefully you have a better chance of knowing what's intimate with your team and being insightful, you're empathetic and knowing what's important to your consumers. How do you build, how do you build that, some of those Gamba uh, principles into making sure you and you, you're not missing anything and you're building the culture. Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, like in some ways, I mean, I say this and anybody who's on from Beam Centauri will probably laugh about this. In some ways, um, working for a Japanese company is great because there are these words that don't really translate and require like massive amounts of explanation, but are clearly priorities. Like, so Centauri is very good at saying like, the Gemba. We got to go to the Gemba, be at the Gemba. But right, but but to an American company or to a non-Japanese company, you're like, what what is the Gemba? What Explain this to me. So it, it forces engagement. Like whereas sometimes, you know, there might be a corporate slogan that's like, yeah, we're gonna go do X, Y, and Z, and people are like kind of roll their eyes. Like, you know, Santorius proclaimed Gemba is important. I'm proclaiming Gemba is important, but you you have to engage to understand it. So then that gives me a forum to say, hey, this is about empathy. It's about inclusion. It's about being purposeful to make sure that we're creating the right work culture. And so then there's a little bit of, of that explanation. And then I think, again, I think the organization looks at how leaders choose to spend their time as signs of what's valued. And so that's I am in Florida. And that's why I push my team to say, hey, let's have learning agendas when we come. Let's set about how are we going to do Gemba in a purposeful way. Let's try to segment and regiment that across the organization. So it becomes a way of working. And then I guess I would just conclude some days I'm better than others. You know, I don't like to think that every time I show up, it's, you know, a great learning experience for people, but we're we're all human. And sometimes I do, I'm more purposeful and thoughtful and structure a better learning agenda when I come. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you fall prey to people. People want to show you, you know, what they think you want to see. And um, and look, there's a reality in that too, right? There's value as a leader when you go to the market of having the market show what they can do. 
right? Like if you're gonna go to the to the bakery, there's value in them knowing you're coming and cleaning, you know, making sure everything's buttoned up and making sure everything's running right and making sure the yeah. safety record is good. And there's value in that too. So you want the you got to strike this balance of there's a lot of leaders will say, oh, I want to come to the market and I want to see reality. Well, I don't really want to see reality. I want to see reality. I want to see what you can, are capable of doing. And I want to know what the obstacles and challenges were to doing that. I don't want to walk in and say, oh, yeah, we, you know, we didn't care at all that you were coming and the store looks yeah. terrible or the factory is a disaster or no one's here today because it's a day off and we didn't tell you because you wanted to see reality. Right. So it's uh yeah, it's so, about, yeah, it's awesome. You know, Greg, I got one more thing because you brought up a new concept. You talked about this idea of engage this Gemba. You said, Hey, I don't know what it is, but it's kind of, but it's so sharp in people's mind that it forces them to engage enforcing your team to engage. And I love, I just love that concept and that idea you're talking about. Because then you get, you have an environment of trust and you get them to engage, you're able to not make it a philosophy, but make it kind of part of you, as you talked about building your business strategy, building your culture. Right. And particularly, I mean, I think it's one of the things that I've found, I mean, really interesting about, uh, it's been an interesting cultural experience working for a Japanese company and working for Centauri, because there's so many layers to mm-hmm. concepts, typically, I've found with, with Centauri. And, you know, when a word like Gemba comes out as a cultural value or a principle of how you're going to work, he, even when you're talking to a Centaurian who's been only ever worked at Centauri, mm-hmm. you feel like you're exploring that word together, if that makes any sense. You're, you're yeah. exploring the understanding of that together, regardless of the level mm-hmm. of the company. You're reading the mail like, together. Right. Yeah, together. Coming back full circle to your point, everybody's sitting down and saying, okay, let's yeah. understand this together. And then as you understand, it's part of being together in the moment, right? Uh, Whether it's out in the market or just even understanding the term. So that's a little bit of what makes it so powerful is somewhat in some way, um, it's actually vague enough that it can't just be a slogan. Yeah. And it requires you to engage and almost engages every, it's a sort of leveling effect of, it's not like I have the source of truth on Gimba's these three words and I figured it out. It's it's literally, you know, we're going to have a discussion about it and we probably are going to build each other's perspective on what it means. And that's yeah. yeah. I've learned so much. If you were going to leave everybody with one thought, you know, maybe I have or or like summarize, you know, what you think uh, they would take away from today, what would that be? Well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do two thoughts. All right, because I like because I like to do more. No, um, so first of all, I mean, I, I would say careers are long, and you get opportunities to work for really great leaders in the course of those careers, and you get to see those leaders o- over time and evolve and grow, and it just really enjoy that, right? So I want to say thank you, Andy, because. Yeah, we worked together early in our careers at, at, at different times, and you know, you shaped my my leadership journey, and it was a it was a great privilege to work for you. And it's been great to stay connected with you and see your career evolve, and you evolve as a, as a leader. And it still makes me smarter and a better leader to get to interact with you. So, first of all, thank you for that. And then, I guess my second the, the point I would take away is really all goes back to the idea of how how do you put yourself in, you know, it all goes back to that sort of Peace Corps value of if you immerse yourself in a situation so that you force yourself to 
live or walk like the other person does, even for a moment, right? And then how do you train yourself to use that empathy, not just to be empathetic, but to, to find insights and observations about, about situations in life? I would say, you know, one of the things that, that most Peace Corps volunteers would probably say is that you learn more about American culture by being a Peace Corps volunteer than you do about the culture where you visit. Because you give, you're given this moment to observe what's actually universal to human and what's unique to, you know, maybe your, your, your U.S. perspective. And mm-hmm. so that, I think, is, is how I would encourage people to approach, approach Gimba. It's not about going and being empathetic and becoming the person. It's about going and being empathetic and figuring out what's the insight that comes out of that, that you can ladder up to something that can help the organization, drive a business opportunity, or just make a more more inclusive culture. The thing I learned spending time in Eastern Europe, which is very prescient today, because it was right as NATO was expanding, I was in Romania, is just how optimistic Americans are compared to that. That, that, was, that was the single biggest cultural difference was just this optimism. So I come to work every day convinced that we can drive growth, we can build more engaged teams, and that the problems we're facing, if we can just figure out how to see them together, we'll be able to address them. So it's that optimism that I've carried forward and it helps with the resilience to get through situations like the last two years, which have been challenging for every last leader. Greg, it's been an absolute privilege as I'll I'll end up joining this stage with you. Uh, I'm not surprised with your tremendous success. It's really an honor and a privilege. And, um, you know, I always say when your teams are successful, your business can be successful. And as you go further in your career, you really realize the greatest joy comes in making teams successful. And as a result, the business follows. And you certainly lived that and you lived it today. So... It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for allowing me to join the stage and special thanks to the Executive Club of Chicago uh, for giving us the opportunity to share our story. Hopefully we had an impact. I know we did on other people and helped them think about how they lead and how they build businesses. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org. See you next time.